Welcome to Higher ID, the podcast where we talk about all things instructional design and higher ed. We're your hosts, Dr. Jess Seitler and Christy J. Woods, and we are excited to bring you our next episode. Yes, this week we are having another casual conversation, and this time we are chatting all about learner experience design, or LXD. And <laughs> yeah, I know I'm excited. I um, was thinking about like, when did I even first hear about what LXD or learner experience design was? And I remember early on, like really early on, right when I was uh, just transitioned into instructional design, I think I thought that it was just another name for instructional design. Because, you know, like there are so many um, different titles for instructional design that may also still just mean instructional design. And so I thought like learner experience design was just somebody trying to be fancy <laughs> like, oh, and uh. just calling it something additional. Um, yeah, that was what I thought it was. Do you remember like the first time that you heard what learners, well, the term I should say, not when you first learned actually what it was, but when you first heard it? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of interesting. Of course, it kind of separately that seems like unrelated. I heard about UX design because mm -hmm. um, because when I started in ID work within the first year, the Google UX design certificate came out. And so I started, okay. I started doing that. Cool. And then, um, but then also I started seeing kind of announcements and reading all sorts of articles and that discuss like the different names for instructional designers. Yeah. And within that, those articles, I'd often see LXD, learning, learning experience designer. And as is with all of higher education, um, sometimes the duties of that learning experience designer were 100% overlapped with instructional designer. And so yeah. it, did, it did feel like, oh, we're just talking about another name for an instructional oh, designer. it's just a fancy name, yeah. <laughs> and then on the other end of things, it did, it kind of leaned, it was interesting. It separated that, that position from um, an instructional designer and really emphasized it, well, it just really emphasized learning experience. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I thought it was strange because I always thought, well, I'm an instructional designer. That's what I do. I, I focus on learning experiences. Why, why would this not be my name too? Yeah. So I think since that time, uh, I think it hasn't been just me or you trying to like digest or like deconstruct what really is a learning experience designer. I think in actual space and time during COVID and post-COVID, there has been a shift yeah. um, of the value of um, that space, which kind of envelops UX design and learning experience design. There's been a shift in education that is valuing more that experiential, the user experience mm -hmm. becoming, and it's not just I guess the names, it's more because it feels like um, higher ed, and especially as, as we continue to grow in online courses, um, has really increased the value of the human experience. And yeah. so it started to really push, not just started, I mean, it's, it's full pushing the, um, the student-centered or in many cases, the user-centric, student-centric um, development of courses now. Yeah, that's so funny that you say that, because I feel like that hasn't been my experience at all. Like, I, oh. I, I think that I have just gone in and developed courses with, like, best practices in mind, and to me, that felt a one step removed from student experience. Like, it was based on research, but not like user experience research, not qualitative research, not learner experience research. It was like, we know that, um, you know, uh, in active learning groups, students with disabilities often get left out. So we need to be more yeah. inclusive of that. So how do we design a, a, an active learning experience that is more inclusive? Like it was like these one-off things that yeah. I 
didn't connect with learner experience. And so I, up until pretty recently, I would say within the last year, for sure, um, I have just been designing with that, like with the research, like whatever the research says, look at the journals, look at the books. That's how I've been designing, not with who's in the room, who's actually taking these courses. And I haven't had anybody uh, in my leadership or anything like that, that has like this is where we're going like they haven't Mm -hmm. that hasn't been on the agenda and it wasn't until I got into this current position of my my full role is instructional design manager but I am in charge of learner engagement on our team and each of our managers has like a specific focus mine's learner engagement and I was like what the heck does that mean (laughs) (laughs) like right you know like I I'm to me, that's like inclusion, that's ed tech a little bit, but like, what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until we were reading what inclusive instructors do, the book, okay. um, yeah. that I had like a brain blast moment during mm-hmm. that book discussion, because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know who our students are like at all. I couldn't oh. tell you. I couldn't tell you what our population is if we have, like, we're on the brink of an HSI, we're really highly considering it because CSU is a land-grant institution, so we have a lot of Indigenous folks, and um, I hadn't even, like, really given that thought. I just truly was, like, what's the research say? Take yeah. that, and I wasn't even considering the fact that, like, my students at CSU, my students in our classes, in different mm-hmm. programs, like, they're different. Students are different every time, right? Like, you could do the same course, training, presentation, whatever, the exact same thing, but you will have different people every time. And so how do you like cater to those learners? I had never considered that until I read that What Inclusive Instructors Do book. And they talk so much about you cannot be inclusive unless you know your students. It has to be student-centric. And then this whole like learner experience design like seed was planted in my brain. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah what the heck? I don't know any of our students. And it created all these projects for me and my team. Um, and then I just happened to uh, take a course, uh, a couple of workshops through OLC, which I'm happy to talk more about as we continue the conversation. But then I was like, oh my gosh, like this, yes, this is like understanding who we're designing to. Because I haven't taught in a while, um, mm-hmm. not since 2020 for me and um and when I taught I had curriculum built for me so again like I'm I'm a few steps removed you know and when I'm designing I'm designing based off of best practices with whatever it says in the research but not with like who is in front of me and designing that way I had no no inclination so it's truly like a I'm like feel like I'm going through a renaissance right now okay (laughs) I'm like really understanding our students and I don't know if that's just because I didn't fully understand that or if it wasn't a strong enough initiative on any of the teams I'd been on yet until I'm on my current team um but yeah it hadn't come up for me at all that's that's really interesting I think uh I'm coming from I think I'm coming from a different space for sure um I hadn't it's really strange I hadn't actually connected the vocabulary if that makes sense mm-hmm. um but when I was teaching you know I started teaching online in 2009 and yeah. I was teaching online I was teaching in person and I was teaching flipped courses yeah. so I was doing all three of those things at the same thing at mm-hmm. the same time and um so I thought about my students a lot and I thought about the challenges that they experienced a lot and yeah. And I, I also, that takes intentionality though, Jess, because I've taught too, but I just like taught, like I didn't think about, I didn't, I was not intentional about who my students yeah. and like thinking about how they might best learn and like what, what right. are the resources they're needing. I truly didn't do any of that. And I think part of that was because I was thrown into teaching as yeah. a grad student and okay. I was yeah. totally overwhelmed <laughs> because yeah. I had 18 other things that I was doing. I wasn't just teaching. I was researching yeah. and counseling and doing all these things. But I think that that's a special thing that you have this intentionality that you, you started yeah. off with. And I, I don't yes. know if that's like part yeah. of you. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. I, 
I have felt so excluded most of my life from the yeah. learning, from the learning community, from the learning experience. Mm. Um, so I don't know if it was because I was like socially awkward. I feel pretty like socially comfortable now, but yeah. I don't know if it was like social awkwardness, if it was just my undiagnosed disability, mm -hmm. you know, but I definitely felt really excluded for most of my life from the learning experience. Mm -hmm. And, and so like when I was teaching Spanish, I haven't even jumped into the instructional design part yet, yeah. but when I was teaching Spanish, my goal was for those students to walk out of that class, whether it was in person or online, they better be speaking some Spanish. Like yeah. that was that was my goal for them. Of course, I checked in with them, right. but that was like that was literally the outcome. I said, you know, I was always like, I don't care if your grammar is perfect; it doesn't matter. The what matters is that you're communicating, which is like the basic needs in the Spanish language. Yeah. And, um, so if I would have them in class every single day, they were speaking Spanish, whether they really wanted to or not. Mm -hmm. And when I was able to do that, they left being able to speak Spanish. And so going back to point is I thought about the different challenges that these different students experienced on a regular basis, learning Spanish. So that was very like context oriented. Yeah. So when I switched to instructional design, I definitely felt like there is a huge disconnect mm -hmm. between the instructional designer and the students. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is, again, I'm, I, I'm just like really struck by like your awareness around that. Like I, I truly mean this, like I just realized that <laughs> like a year ago, not, yeah, about a year ago. And I think the fact that like you were thinking about that when you were teaching, but also the second that you switched over, you're like, hey, wait, we're missing something. Well, and I come it, from a student affairs background. Like I had that information all the time. So maybe that was part of it, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you a compliment, Jess. Oh, thank I'm, you. You're thank very you. aware. I, and I think that goes a long way. I've, I've hold, I've held my awareness uh, silent for many, many years. And now I'm old enough that I'm like, hey, I see something. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it was like Sesame Street or something. One of these things doesn't belong here. Yeah. Um, um, it's not. Can I wait? Can I tell you something? Sure. Yes. Tell me. Tangential. There's a movie, Open Season. I don't remember which one there. It's a children's movie. My nephew watches it, and it's one of the Open Season movies. But it says, "If you see something, say something." And yeah. then it's like a porcupine or a hedgehog or something that sees a ladybug, and he's like something and um, <laughs> I just think of when anybody says if you see something say something something oh, yeah. yeah, so well, but I'm glad that you speak up because I think that um there have been many times in my life where I haven't really considered something and I think it's privilege right because I'm white I'm heterosexual I've had a pretty easy enough life like I haven't had a ton of trials and tribulations I don't have any disabilities like you know like there's I, I went through school really easily I had very little challenges at, as a learner and so I think that hearing other people's experiences i.e. learner experience uh, <laughs> helps me to like yeah. check my privilege of like oh yeah like crap I didn't even think about that like that was never an issue for me but that's so that's the reason why I didn't think about it and so I'm always thinking about that now of like what am I missing what what, what part yeah. am I not getting because of um, my own privilege and I think that just goes to show that like we need going back to the conversation we had with Renee about inclusion of like who's missing Diverse from the table groups. yeah who's yeah. missing from the table absolutely and I I won't deny that as a as a white female um I have had you know privileges I am in a privileged space but yeah. I I will also say that I always used to think that I was weird because I noticed those disconnects or I noticed like I always noticed people in class that were excluded and I wanted to go make them my friend because I wanted mm. them to feel included I like I just wanted everybody to feel like yeah. they're well like even as a high school student yeah like, I I go I was like collecting different people 
that yeah. were like that were not part of the cool crowd so I was never like part of the cool crowd because I was like just collecting people like that's such a weird thing to say but I look yeah. back on it that's how I see it but um yeah so when I stepped into instructional design you and I have talked about this before I was like not only do we have like maybe these other issues, but where's the E and Addy? Like, I'm just never getting feedback. Where am Especially I? Especially in higher ed. And right. I, it still continues to be an issue for sure. Yeah, no, we don't like, it's like, oh, the course is done. We know it's not really done. It's it's done. If but it's like, packaged, sent away, and then it like doesn't like, come back unless it's it, time to refresh it. <laughs> yeah, it's like the first iteration. So do we know that the students liked it or they hated mm-hmm. it? We we have no idea. And so I, yeah. you and I have talked quite a bit about that. Like, where's the Ian Eddie? Where's, where's that student? And then um, when I was at PCC, we actually started getting students involved in the course development process. Cool. How? What did you do? <laughs> uh, student workers. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So have you them like could, review it or what, yeah, what would you do? Like walk through the course. Wow. Yeah. I have, we have a ton of student workers on our team. We could easily have them do that. Yeah. So, I mean, so you can, and especially students are really interested, like students who are doing computer science or doing different things, but you really want to have a diversity of students. Yeah. Like, but, um, but we started doing that and just also getting like PCC in general, I will say that they were really good about getting feedback from students um, mm-hmm. about their online experience. So there was always these like little webinars and students would like tell about their online experience and like the hurdles mm-hmm. or the challenges or the really great experiences they had and what was what were the details that made those experiences so great. So um, I will say that that happened at, at Pima Community College. Yeah. Um, they were good about really involving students. And now at the U of A, I feel like we're going through like a rethinking process. Um, some students are involved. We do have student workers, um, yeah. but they're not involved in the course review. And I would like to push to get more yeah. students involved. Like, hey, That's can a I have an idea? But but I don't want like my boss to think, oh, I just need a student aid. <laughs> you know, no, I need a student I, worker. I, yeah, <gasps> I think you just frame it in that way. Yeah. We we have such a hard time getting feedback too. And you know, ideally the feedback is comes in some sort of like the course survey, but one, the course survey has very little to do with like the course design, right? right? It's usually like about the professor most often. And then like, it might be about like, did it help me learn or something like that? Like pretty vague, but, um, so it's not asking the questions you wanted. It's not, it's not getting to the answers that you're trying to get to. And then for us at CSU, um, just because of like academic freedom, shared governance, you know, um, we don't have access to those course surveys. Of course not. No. And faculty are fiercely protective of that data because yeah, they don't want it to be used for the wrong reasons. And I a hundred percent understand that. And we don't have yet another way of getting that student data right now. So it's, it's a little challenging, um, to then come back to the E in Addy and yeah. say like, okay, oh, yeah. how do we do this? Unless it's, again, they come back through our queue and usually that's years later. So mm. it's not really iterating. It's like doing a full course development again, yeah. three years later, you know? Yeah. Um, so what I started doing with my SMEs, now this is my personal intention. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, is I check in with them mid-semester and the end of the semester and they start documenting like any changes that might be needed made and or needed and I ask them if they would mind sharing a google form since it is a brand new course getting that student feedback so it's anonymous mm-hmm. feedback mm-hmm. um so that we're not I'm not collecting um student names or anything like that right. but um collecting information on how their experience was and it specifically goes into um the learning experience Mm -hmm. like how was how was navigation did you find it easy did you find it complex what element you know and kind of digging into that and so I've done that with a few faculties me I don't they don't have to do it however um 
you know, after you've worked <laughs> two to four months on a project, possibly longer, you've usually um, gained the trust of your faculty yeah. and they really want the course to be the best it can. And, and of course, um, specialty classes, faculty want students in their class. So they don't want bad reviews. They don't want poor learning experience. They want students to enroll in their class. Yeah. So, so, um, so although I've had limited feedback, because students not a required form, it's just if you, we would love to get your feedback on your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but the feedback that I have gotten has been beneficial. Yeah, I appreciate you talking about the survey because um, one, it's a fantastic tool just to survey your students every time. Anyways, I think that's like the best way to get data is yeah. just ask your students every time <laughs> um, because again, learners will be different every time. What you think you know about the learners that you have will likely change. Of course, you'll have some themes and things that come up, but um, I just recently completed um, OLC's learner experience uh, methods badge. Mm-hmm. So it's two yeah. workshops. Um, the first one is a learner persona. And then the second one is experience mapping. Super applicable, super hands-on, learned a ton. Um, yeah. It wasn't like a ton of information, but just like going through the experience was super helpful for me. Um, but in that course, we went through like a learner experience survey ourselves. Um, and they asked like things like, what was the first thing you did when you entered the workshop for the first time? And yeah. um, then add some detail to that. And what were you thinking when you first entered the workshop? And you could easily swap out workshop or course, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, explain your uh, emotional response to the workshop when you first entered. And um, I just happened, we just happened to have a course that got copied over, but like the syllabus was um, the part one of the workshops and this was part two. Mm-hmm. And um, like some of the links weren't where they were supposed to be. So like the facilitator got a ton of great feedback on how they can immediately update the course. And, um, and then you can see like, I just love like what was your emotional experience upon entering the course because then you can see like people are excited people are nervous mm-hmm. they feel like they don't have enough time they're really con- concerned about the time commitment that this is going to take and so then you can kind of like get a feel of where your learners are at and I just I don't know I just loved it and what was cool about this assignment is that then they shared the results with mm-hmm. the entire um, attendees of the workshop and then had us like complete a discussion on it to as a way to connect with one another and see like yes you aren't the only person that noticed that or yes mm, you're not the yeah. only person that is nervous about the time commitment for this and um, so I thought that was a really beautiful way you obviously have to be careful about what you ask if of you're going to share it like that but um, I thought that, that was really cool just a, a little bit different of a like who's in this class type survey yeah. um, that got some really good feedback that could be implemented really well. And it sounds like that's very similar to what you do with your courses is getting feedback so they can implement it. Oh yeah. So I was going to mention um, the who's in the class um, survey at the beginning of the semester. Yeah. Uh, I, although I had done a survey very similar um, because you can't tell by the way someone looks what yeah. their home language is, mm-hmm. where they're from, mm-hmm. um, what their education's been like, what, you know, what strengths or weaknesses they may have, or what insecurities that they don't, you know, that might challenge them within the course, that, you know. Um, and so I used to do surveys like that, but I do appreciate the who's in the class form. It goes a little more in depth than I was going. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I yeah. think it's excellent to get to know your students. Mm-hmm. I think, I think what I, I think the who's in this class is great for getting like basic information about your students, but mm-hmm. I think for it to be, to me, like learner experience is then understanding their experience. Like oh, I can't yeah. just ask, and, and I know that you agree on this too, but I think this is like the challenge I've had with the who's in class form is that like, it'll ask like, you know, 
what's your experience with online learning? Like how many classes mm-hmm. have you taken? Or, um, you know, are, are you also working or something? Yeah. But right. then I have to kind of make some assumptions based off of that data then. So I'm like, okay, my students are working. So I know best practices for students who work full time is mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But I, what I really love and would love to see our team implement is like, what is your experience juggling this? Can you talk to us about what that looks like so that they can share that? Because mm-hmm. we, we're making a lot of assumptions just based off of demographic data. Absolutely. And I think that's the, the missing link for me that's, um, I think, takes the who's in the class survey a little bit further. Yeah. So I think I need to like separate my two hats here <laughs> is, you know, as a teacher, uh, for me, I use the who's in the class form. It's very beneficial. Yeah. Um, it, as an instructional designer, it is helpful, but not exactly the information like you mentioned. Totally. It's not exactly the information I want to know. Um, and as an instructional designer, we're like, okay, how do we get at that information? Yeah. I will say that in my initial meeting with my faculty, um, we discuss the course, obviously, what is it, you know, what is it like? Is it in person or is it online? Is it hybrid? Um, is it flipped? Mm-hmm. And um, I ask, I always ask them what type of students take their course. Yes. And I had never asked that until this last year. No way. Like, oh my, <laughs> yes. I literally didn't even like think to ask that. Isn't that wild? It's like, I'm just walking through life, just making all these assumptions about best practice, just based off of some blind research. I mean, research is good. People yeah. do great research. It's fantastic. But no, I didn't even ask. What the heck? I just didn't even ask. Oh, well, I mean, but now, you know. Yeah. And now um, I know, but I think like, I think about how many instructional designers who are like me that have just kind of done things without intentionality and thinking about like how what does this why does this matter you know why are we doing this and how can we serve our people better and I think that like just asking those questions is like that's how you get to the intentionality so I again it's just like another like let's just keep it how many times do I say just you're so aware We'll just keep well, tallying it. You oh, know? well, thank you. I, I, I will say that, like, I, I've actually always been called sensitive. Like, sensitive. I don't think it's sensitive. Like, sensitive aware. to my, sur- sur- maybe aware, okay, but of my surroundings, though, in general, have you ever walked in a house and realized how uncomfortable you felt in that house? Yeah, yeah, I, okay. I mean, I, I have too, but I don't know. I think, I think there's, like, an intentionality and an awareness that you have that I think is is just part of your personality, but yeah. I don't think that that means that people have to have that as part of their personality yeah. no, to they don't. be successful in, in instructional design and learner experience design, but I think you have to freaking think about those things, and I literally did not <laughs> for well, years. <laughs> I mean, that's so exciting. I'm actually very interested. Um, I've done learner personas before um, yeah. for uh-huh for um a website design that I did and I did mm-hmm. like uh design thinking and so I did learner personas to empathize with with the students that would be doing this activity and I made a little website so cool. activity out of it yeah, um that's awesome. but I've also done in a really informal way so I won't say that in any instructional design position that I've held anybody's ever said we want you to do learner personas mm-hmm. but uh, I, I will say it's it, doing even like basic learner personas and sketches of, you know, students is extremely helpful. So helpful. Yes, I agree. And we are doing a project. I actually have a presentation, um, in a, a few weeks for our faculty that is a culmination of, uh, like, how do you use student data to actually understand who your students are and design and teach from them? And we're mm-hmm. using learner personas from advising. Oh, and nice. so, and, and that again, to me in higher ed, everything is so siloed. Like when yeah. I was in advising, I was in advising. I did not mess with academic affairs at all. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm in an ac- academic affairs, I have basically 
no connection with student affairs unless I bridge that. And again, as a result of what inclusive instructors do that book, I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea who our students are, but I know that our advisors do because I'd been mm -hmm. an advisor before and reached out and, and now are collaborating on getting this learner experience data information and, and teaching others how to do that too. Um, but we hadn't done it before and I haven't yet. You're totally right, Jess. I literally never had anybody say no to a learner persona. Never went out no. once. I, I will say one thing that might've helped me in this area be maybe like quicker to do it is just because I've, I've taught heritage learners yeah, mm. in, in within Spanish, uh, I've taught Spanish as a foreign language, yeah. and then I've taught Spanish for heritage learners, and so the approach to teaching those those two things is is really distinct, and so I have to really be thoughtful about the students that I'm teaching, mm -hmm. and the approach that I take because it's it's a completely different demographic. Although they're both learning Spanish, it's it's, it's different it's extremely different. And, yeah. and, and so, um, so maybe it just is something that's naturally like, it's just on my mind. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I do think it's naturally on your mind. I think it's also just who you are. I don't know. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, but I, I think too, like, like I think about like UDL, which is a fantastic thing. It's, creates a lot of access for a lot of people but even then that's not really understanding the experience that's just trying to give as much choice as mm -hmm. possible it's hopefully that you'll fit into one of those buckets of yeah. choice right so even that like that seems like a really accessible inclusive thing and it is but it's still missing this huge piece of experience that we don't get it yeah. just bewilders me. I just, I, I could talk about how my mind is blown all day about this. And I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the only person that has like not considered these things, but I, I get the sense that other instructional designers, especially newer instructional designers, um, haven't considered these things. Like they just kind of go through the motions of designing what they know to be best based on right. what they've been taught, but they don't stop to think about the experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause a lot of it is, 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 could be, could be a checklist. Oh yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. It Do, is a checklist. For, I have for, a checklist. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I'm a checklist girl. I love checklists. Um, <laughs> yeah. But one thing I was going to say is, you know, related to this, uh, and I don't think I really dissected it until I started building this class. Um, I'm co-building, and, and we've talked about this before too, I'm co-building yeah. a UX design and UDL course. And kind of on the back side of that, I've been doing grant proposals related to teaching instructional designers inclusive design. Mm -hmm. So I've also been taking inclusive design workshops and I'm at a point where I'm like, I really don't think we should pay for instructional designers to take these inclusive design workshops because what is inclusive design is really going to be formulated for our own community. Yes. Um, I mean, there's there's specific things related to the demographics of our community. And so I think our group needs to kind of make those definitions and add those to that checklist. And mm -hmm. so now I'm lingering back to this course, right? And I've been and is the course for instructional designers? Is that who you're talking about? Or it's for educators. Okay. So it's really interesting. So I was super thrilled to be asked to co-design and co-teach this. So it's officially called like UX design and UDL for educators. Okay, cool. And um, at first I was really excited. And then I started reading and reading and reading. I'm like, oh man, we need to change the title of this course, but we can't. What do you think you need to change it to? Because starting, and this is kind of something I mentioned to you, starting with UX design is, I mean, it gives you this foundation, but what you need to do to connect the dots to UDL is, is, you, is you have to bridge it with LXD. Yeah. You can't just jump and say that, you know, UDL, accessibility, UX design, they all... It all makes sense in, in the 
context of higher education, you have to have some bridge. And so that bridge mm -hmm. is learning experience design because that is part of UX design, but it's it's within part of the, instructional design. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's and, underneath and the umbrella. It, it is underneath the umbrella and, but it's, you know, it's UX in the context of education. So you have to, it's, you're taking, you're combining the, you know, navigational space, easy to use, simple, mm -hmm. you know, simple and easy to use and joyful. Right. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. but, but then you're taking the learning science into it. You know, yeah. how are you, how is this learning experience connected to the outcomes? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just never thought about any of these things. And I appreciate like that uh, understanding of like UX can entirely be its own thing. Like UX yeah. is its own thing. And yeah. LX design really bridges those things. And I love what you said with the inclusion and UDL stuff where it's like, you can't, really can't have those unless you have the learner experience design. But I, I just wonder, like, again, it brings me back, like, how many, how many people, how many units, how many colleges, how many teams are missing that, right? And so you think you're doing, like, inclusive work, you are bringing in the principles of mm -hmm. UDL, and you're bringing in what you know to be the research from inclusion, you are probably doing some accessibility things, yeah. um, but you're, like, missing the mark because you're not designing for your students. Right. Well, and exactly, because that's what, that is what LXD is, is learner experience design is focused on building something as deliverable for the learner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, UX design focuses on usability and the user, and we're just shifting vocabulary. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at usability tied into learning. So yeah. yeah, is is it easy and fun as well as tied into those learning outcomes and and yeah. using like motivational theory and using all these theories to make learning or improve learning success, right? Yeah. So I, it's um I think it's well and and so I don't I I wonder I just wonder because again we mentioned we both have noted that LXD is an increasingly um popular name within higher ed now yes but does the description actually match what is lxd we're not really sure about that i don't, I don't know show me the well, evidence well i think so, it would depend on the place right yeah but so you know my question is is the instructional designer actually shifting into just a learning experience designer will we all as instructional designers in higher ed shift into really learning experience designers because we're all unicorns you know <laughs> well I think it depends on process because that's the other disconnect with the team that I currently have is that we have a beautiful course development process the most um, thought out process that I've ever had on a team and it's so well done however we don't have any data collection yeah. Of, of user experience we don't have any idea if it's effective or not for our students right. and we don't have any um we don't currently have a consultation model so therefore we don't have like an iterative a quick iterative um updating design thinking mm -hmm. feedback opportunity either yeah. um and I don't know if we'll ever be able to do anything quick because it's higher ed <laughs> so yeah so yeah things so are never are quick are we connecting with the students and our designs, right? Yeah, so I think I love your idea of having students review courses because that, to me, that's like, boom. That's Dream a great way. <laughs> yeah, we obviously we have like a limited student um, of course. work on population. That's not yeah. going to be every student gets a chance to do that, but that does give us some data. And I love the course survey. And I actually did a, uh, a different kind of, it's like a course survey, but it was a, um an empathy map have you ever mm -hmm. read that um in the same olc learner experience methods um learner experience design uh badge from olc they did um an empathy map for us when we entered in the course and it was um think about your experience entering the workshop and then add your feel think c 
see, hear, and do related to that experience. And I think that that would be so cool to add into all of the courses, because again, it tells you if you're missing content, it tells you if your students don't understand what the expectations are, and and it tells you like their emotional experience of where they're at coming into this course. It tells you if you need to have the extra support for them, but it doesn't ask it in a way that's like, how are you doing? You know, like, do you understand? Have you read the syllabus? Well, yeah, I read the syllabus. Okay. But I can't find where our assignments are. Like, you know what I mean? It just like goes a little bit it asks more specific questions or ask questions in a way that gets you the answers that you want. And I feel like now, like we see things like the syllabus quiz that like mm-hmm. quizzes them on what their understanding of the syllabus, but does it really? Yeah. I don't think it does. So I would love to incorporate things like this with faculty, but um, sometimes with course development, you are spending so much time just trying to get them to develop content let alone like trying to incorporate these experiences so I'm curious like are there have you integrated this with faculty and what has this been like for you like how do you bridge that conversation to kind of get them to to do that um type of like empathy map or who's in this class survey or whatever to get some student data so I think that the who's in this class survey is easier to share. Um, yeah. However, it will depend on each faculty member because if you look it up online, it is a, you know, it's a PDF. And, and so it would take time to put that into either Qualtrics or um, into Google Form. Mm-hmm. So it depends. Is is your faculty willing to even do that? Or are they going to ask you as the instructional designer to do that? Mm-hmm. And um, as the it might be nice as the instructional designer to do that um, if your faculty agrees to share it, because then you and the faculty you can share that, and then you can get the data from it as well. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to later on say, "Hey, faculty, will you share the data with me?" <laughs> you know? Yeah. You just um, already have it. Yeah. And so you're not doing that. Well, you have D2L, so it's different, but you're not doing that in like a quiz format in D2L. You're doing it outside of it in some way, like a survey. Yeah. So what I did, I actually, I, my faculty recently, um, a course that I recently built had an eight week course. And Mm -hmm. I said, you know, hey, at the end of this eight week course, would you mind if um, I shared this survey. Please look over it and let me know if there's any changes or anything that anything that you don't agree with. Yeah. And he looked over. He said, "Yeah, no, this looks this looks good." And I said, um, because he is a little less experienced with technology, yeah. I said, "Do you care if I go into your course and post it? And I'll post it as myself, of course." And the instructional designer and just saying, you know, we just designed this course and we really want it to be the best experience for all all students. We'd love mm. to get your feedback. Um, it was a very small course to begin with. So there was just a few students who offered feedback. But, um, you know, sometimes depending on who your faculty is, the instructional designer, if they're the one managing that data or trying to get that data, the instructional designer might have to take that extra step to get it. Yeah. Which, yeah. Might mean making the form and then sharing it on That's their announcements okay. page yeah. if, the, if, the, if the faculty member agrees to it, right? I will make any form yeah. <laughs> if the faculty agrees to it. Yeah. yeah, I just think it's like, um, it feels, I, and that's, I know it's not true, but it feels like there's so many other competing priorities. Oh, geez, time. That, yeah, time, energy, getting faculty to um, create content in, in a short amount of time and our course development processes are pretty, they're standardized and they're pretty quick. So they usually are only developing for about 12 weeks. Oh, we, have that's 16 amazing. Week, <laughs> we have a 16 week cycle, but a couple of weeks is like a training course for them and a couple of weeks is review. Um, so they really only get about 12 to actually develop, which sounds amazing <laughs> as you just said, but it means that everything's quick. And so you yeah, have- I know you have deadlines and you're trying to get it done and um, it just feels like it falls off. But I think if I created something, obviously I would chat with my leadership 
um, my director, but um, I think if I made something and said like, let's just try these things out and see if we can get some data. Because mm-hmm. I think faculty, especially like the do think feel here activity of like upon entering this course, what did you do? What yeah. did you notice? Like, how did you feel? Like, that's a great way to understand their experience and kind oh, of yeah. say like, okay, my, my students are freaked out. They do right. not know what's going on. They are confused. I'm going to send an announcement and give them a course tour and say, hey, I know it's confusing. I'm here for you. Ask any questions that you have. Here's how you do that. You know, like going a step beyond. And so I'd love to just like every class that I develop, I'm like, let's do this activity, this survey and a feedback survey in every class because I want the data. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I really, uh, it's, yeah, it's so challenging. Um, to be that, um, to be able to do all those things, right? Because there are so many competing priorities. Like this summer, I have an eight-week build, um, yeah. and it's a lot. So I don't. The instructor, the faculty is very experienced, but he's also, you know, sciences, and he's com- submitting grants and doing all these other things. So, oh yeah, you they know. have so much on their plate. Faculty are always like so busy. They do a lot of different stuff, especially folks going up for promotion or yeah. folks who are um, adjunct folks. Oh my gosh, I feel like are usually adjuncting like seven classes at once, you know, like, cause they don't unfortunately yeah, that no, much. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, and so then um, I had a question and I totally, I totally forgot about my question. So, oh, I do now know. So thinking about personas. So we're thinking about the students getting data and you took two workshops. Yeah. Um, You took the personas workshop and um, experience uh, mapping. Experience mapping. Did you already talk about the experience mapping? That was walking through the room? Uh, no, so so the personas was making a learner persona, and what mm-hmm. I liked about that um, was that you could decide um, how you wanted to do your learner persona, so you could create a learner persona uh, basically based off of yourself for this workshop, um, or you could um, create one based off of a course that you're currently teaching and gather information from your learners. Um, or you could do it based off of a course that you teach, but um, you create your own data just based off of like anecdotal evidence that you've heard before. Um, but what they specifically talked to was like, you really can't create, like I can't create a persona based off of one person I know. No. And say that that is my learner persona for the class. Okay. Even if it's like, uh, an impactful student, like a, a memorable student right. and or in some ways, you know, like you, you really have to create learner personas based off of themes. So it's not one person and creating a learner persona. It is creating a fictional persona based off of the themes of the experience of the students that you have or the learners that you have in that given moment. And I loved that. I was, cause I was like, okay, yeah. yeah. But, um, cause we have, we have, uh, we're doing like learner persona videos um, where we're interviewing uh, students as to why they're in online learning um, and, and online programs and, you know, flexibility and why they care about that. And um, we're just kind of like handpicking those, um, which is, Great, we're still getting stories, um, still great qualitative data, but it doesn't represent in a meaningful way because it's not really looking at this like thematic analysis of that. Um, so I think, again, it goes back to intentionality and um, making sure that whatever persona that you create, it's because you have heard that over and over and over again, like that is the experience. And it could be a couple of personas per class, like you could have like, I have traditional students and then I have non-traditional students in my class and here are the different personas and what that looks like. Um, but it has to be like, there has to be a theme, you know? Oh, um, yeah. So that was the first workshop. And then the second one I took was ex- um, experience mapping. Um, 
And what we did was you had to have a student um, walk, ideally a student. So again, we had options. You could, um, you could yourself be the student and say, um, this workshop is my course. And you basically detail your experience navigating that. And you create an experience map, very similar to learner persona map, but it's like, it's the do, think, feel, see, but then um, you have them do certain things. So you might want them to like find the syllabus, um, submit an introduction video, blah, blah, blah. Um, So you could do it for yourself again, or you could do it, um, have one of your learners in one of your courses, um, go navigate your course and they are supposed to you're supposed to watch them navigate and they're supposed to also like narrate what they're doing and kind of explain their experience there while they do the one to two things that you ask them to do. Um, You can have, uh, the other option was to have like a coworker or something, um, try an activity in one of your courses and same thing, narrate their process or you could do yourself. And we're actually working on a website redesign for our program right now too, for our unit. And uh, I used one of my colleagues for that and had her like log on to our main site and explore our site, try to find our information and navigate to that and then find our contact information. And it was really fun because she was um, like the feel part of the experience map, I um, did emojis. So like when she logged onto the site, she was curious and excited and it's like a smiling emoji. But then when she's exploring the site, she kind of, she's so curious, but she's a little confused because she didn't know like what she was looking at and kind of getting confused on um, why it looked the way that it looked. And then when I asked her to navigate to our information, she was disappointed and confused. So it's like a sad emoji and like, um, like deflated emoji and then when I was like okay try and find like our contact information and how to get in touch with us and she couldn't and so she got frustrated so it's like a yeah. my face angry emoji on it too and I think like those things are just really again going back to your idea of like having students review courses um, that would be a perfect way for students to give feedback and to um, share their experience through an experience mapping activity so yeah. Um, it was so hands-on. Both of these workshops, they're super hands-on and uh, super helpful. I like learned a ton um, in them. It's definitely things that I'm going to implement. Oh, that's so awesome. And one thing I wanted to mention, I know you had said that you had just been following best practices. I will say that a lot of the best practices do overlap. So yeah, it's it's not like it's not like they're still in. best practices for a reason. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like when you think about all of these inclusive design practices, um, and there's an overlap with LXD, like UX LXD practices, and mm-hmm. an overlap with UDL and accessibility. There's you know it's not a like singular dimension. Yeah, in terms of like the intersectionality of all of these topics we're not right. you know just one big separate topic right because yeah. uh, so best practices have been like little what do they call little golden nuggets <laughs> yeah. taken from all of these intersectionalities and that's what our checklist turns out to be like I will say that um depending on what rubric you use whether that's the the oscar or the qm yeah um, we use qm and then we have a separate accessibility and design mm -hmm. one that our team created that goes a little bit deeper but yeah so they often have make sure you have an announcement to tell the students where to go yeah and and i can't tell you how many faculty are like well they're gonna they're they're just gonna figure it out they'll they'll know they'll know that and I'm like but how will they know they won't how will they know what to do you're assuming you're assuming because you developed it you understand what's going on that they'll understand it and I'm here to tell you they won't you have to well it's just like let's say you and I walked into a classroom we're talking about a physical classroom not an online classroom okay you know let's we're we're going to enter a classroom and Mm -hmm. if we just walked into that classroom 
and we had our books let's say that's that's even as going a step further we actually had books and we walked mm-hmm. into a classroom but there was no teacher there would we know what to do no. <laughs> no. I feel like where's the teacher? <laughs> yeah. And so people are just gonna hang out with their books. Yeah. So, so what are they gonna do when oh, they that's a good that's a good analogy, Jess. So that's, what are they gonna do? <laughs> what are they gonna do when they walk into that space? Yeah. And that space is just space. Yeah. They're like, uh, okay, I'm here. Yeah. And and depending on your um, depending on your LMS platform, Mm -hmm. they might not see, um, you know, I'm not going to critique LMS platforms. I'm just putting that out loud because I have all these little tiny Mm -hmm. things that, you know, UX, LXD things that I would change about a bunch of different platforms. But, um, you know, on some platforms, you can see the menu. Mm-hmm. right when you sign in so you can say oh it says start here yeah right? that's what I we have a template that says start here right well we have one too but but when the students come in they're in an empty you know they're in a space if the faculty hasn't made an announcement they just come in and they're like oh where do where do I go now so yeah. depending on your platform it may not be uber obvious unless you've made that announcement mm-hmm. where are the students going or what they're supposed to be doing so yeah like take take it away <laughs> and I will say like um I recommend Duolingo even though I, I say- love Duolingo <laughs> I'm on a streak right now at 36 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I like jump into too many different languages. And so duos like you right there. Oh. 36 days, baby. Oh, wow. Well, so duo often sends me messages. You've made Duolingo sad. Because oh, <laughs> you're not on it. <laughs> I'm not in the right language. Oh. Uh, I don't get a language streak because I play around too much and, you know, I dabble. Yeah. But, but I will say like, thinking of like user experience and learning LXT mm-hmm. I really appreciate uh Duolingo because I learn a lot I love it. and yeah. it's so like okay it's so easy I don't have to think about it and so I will recommend an oldie but a goodie uh yeah. resource I want to hear it it's, tell me everything it says don't make me think revisited by Steve Krug <gasps> it yeah, might be Krug yeah, don't make me think, right? And um, it does talk about, yeah, it talks about websites and building websites and, or, yeah. you know, digital sites. It, it is an older, it, I think that's, uh, I have the 2014 version and they had an earlier version, um, but it's, it's so mm. helpful just stating the obvious. Yeah. Like if you spend more time trying to figure out where you're going, then it's learning. a barrier. <laughs> yes, it's a barrier, right? And a couple of things that he says. I know. I just I, read the one that the top one, and I was like, "Wow, that's a good yeah, one. Tell me, yeah." Tell so, a couple of things that he says that I love: testing one user is a hundred percent better than testing none. Yes, snaps like, to that. Amazing. Right. And then choose the path of least resistance. I feel like we're in Star Wars, right? Navigation. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and um. What and and then and I think we encourage faculty to do this too, like the plus one, right? Like, yeah. what's the smallest, simplest change we can make that's likely to keep people from having having the problem we observed? Like, oh, so man. right? Like, what's what's the wow. simplest change, <laughs> right? I'm just like. <laughs> my mind is blown I want to read this book I've not read well, it and, and it's a super quick read super easy it's not like it's not like it's not uh science like crazy science right yeah. um it's not brain science right um it, it's <laughs> but uh, it is brain science it is brain science and it's not but it is uh, oh it's is not that? like technical well it's like it's yeah not and, super technical yeah, no, and it, it talks about really simple things. And I've had this discussion with my husband. I'm like, if I have to take seven clicks in into a website before I find what I'm looking for, that yeah. means like the information architecture is bad and yeah. I've given up. Yeah. I've yeah. literally given up. So I think about my students like in that way. Yeah. I um uh, first of all, I'm gonna buy this book. Second of all, I attended a session a couple of my faculty actually that I'm developing with now I met them I got assigned to them and then I met them at this 
workshop that they taught and then I got to work with them and develop their courses and we're finishing them up now but they were talking about how like they were giving all this beautiful feedback and um, their whole um, idea was like equity-minded assessment so like Mm -hmm. giving students the opportunity to uh, reformat and incorporate feedback and resubmit their assignments and lots of flexibility lots of equity but the students didn't know where the feedback was I was just gonna ask <laughs> did the students know where the feedback was we've run into no. that problem. yeah and and um they didn't have the notifications on to receive the feedback and they didn't know where to find it and so it was like this double whammy of like yeah. that is learner experience that that that's data that we need to know that now we're saying you will receive feedback here's how you check feedback and then that's then the best practice that's the standard going forward of here's how to receive feedback and here's what we'll do here's how you do that make sure to turn your notification on here's how you do that you know like it's just like uh, it goes back to that conversation again with Renee that we had last season on higher ID where you were talking about how we need to like unhide the hidden curriculum yeah that's the learner experience design why can't we be transparent about things this is what you're going to be graded on it like I do I will say that like my experience often has been oh we're not going to tell you what's on the exam and now that I'm an instructional designer I'm like um it's but not why? like you you know all, all I have to do is reach the learning outcomes if you don't let me know what I'm supposed to be learning then yeah yeah then it's kind of like we have this you know or or your expectations of me if you expect me and and that I'm not going to go too far into this I'm just putting that out there you know if you don't tell me I'm not allowed to use Grammarly because you consider it cheating you yeah. need to let me know because that's AI right I yeah. have but but I think it's important just like so now all the faculty are putting AI statements on their syllabus you need to let your students know just let them know yeah Um, well and I just think like um sometimes it's like an assumption of like oh yeah my students will know how to do it but sometimes it's like I I know how to do it and so I don't even think that you might not know how to do it right you know like I just haven't considered again it like goes back to this awareness thing I haven't considered the fact that you wouldn't understand how to purchase a book at the bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. However, let's make these things explicit and be really kind to our folks. Clear is kind. That's a Brene Brown quote. Um, (laughs) Clear is kind. Yeah, it is kind. It's like really intentional about like, if you think that people understand things and you just make that assumption, then I guarantee you're leaving people out. Yeah, I mean, you just, you have, you have no idea what someone's life experience has been, um, no matter the color of their skin and what they look like. A lot of times we, we depend too much on our eyes and assume things and unfortunately, yeah. uh, don't, don't plan farther than that. Um, yeah. once so go, I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> but I, I think we've been talking for a while. I was so like, I don't, I don't know how long we've been talking. <laughs> I think okay. we're probably close to an hour. I think, yeah, I think, there. yeah. So I think we have to finish up. But one, one other book that I wanted to oh, bring yeah. up was Building for Everyone, uh, and Jean Baptiste. And, um, the one thing I wanted to mention because I'm really into sports and while this is not learning related, it is like user experience and, and, yeah. and you, and you'll get it. So, um, often performance wear and in the past business wear was mostly made for men Yeah, and sports performance wear, uh, there was like an article out in the past month about soccer cleats. Um, yeah, I have, I've been buying men's soccer cleats because they don't actually, they hadn't actually been making cleats and then like from what I understand and then actually make them making them for the women's feet. They were just making men's cleats smaller. And calling them women's. Yeah. 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 And so I think, I don't know if it was Nike or who, who I'll be honest, I don't know what sports uh, wear was doing it, but they were being really intentional um, about how now they're going to make, they're really going to make 
uh, women's soccer cleats for for women. And they, women. Yeah. And yeah. so um, going back to this book, Build for Everyone, it's from 2020 by Anjan Baptiste. It is focused on UX design, but it's focused on like just this user experience and being thoughtful and how to be inclusive. Who's when not you're at designing. the table? Yeah. Yeah. Who's who's not at the table? Who's not who's not in the review process? Are are all of our designers white women? Yeah. Or or you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. um, yeah. so who's not helping? So yeah, where that's a where, great, that where are my like students at? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think about how um like car seat belts were designed for men. And didn't include women's bodies too. Yeah, it's wild. And they're test dummies for the test dummies, men. right? Test and, dummies. And it go even farther, the astronaut, the astronaut outfits. Yeah. Crazy. So she talks, she she talks about that. And um, I believe she's from Google. So she talks a lot about like some of the Google design experiences. So I it's oh, I haven't finished the book. I'm listening. It's an audiobook. I yeah. it was free. So I'm listening and uh, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So nice. what, is there anything that you want to finish up with? No, I think we've had a really good conversation. We'll definitely be sure to list the books and the workshops and stuff. I wish we oh, could yeah. list your class. <laughs> I mean, we can <laughs> list your class well, in the future, <laughs> but yeah. we'd have to be students at U of A. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely list these in the show notes for folks who are interested. But I just think like we've made some really cool connections with like learner experience design, UX, instructional design, inclusion, accessibility, mm -hmm. UDL. Yeah. You know, like there's all these things that it seems so separate, but they're really so intertwined that yeah. um I, yeah, again, I I feel like we could talk. We are definitely not done talking about this. <laughs> we well, just yeah, have to stop right, recording. Like, yeah, we just have to press the stop button. We just have uh, to yeah. press the stop button because we're just trying not to make our episodes too, too long. But um, for user experience, folks, they don't have to. I mean, some people really like long episodes. I like long episodes. But <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's, this work is definitely just like the start of much collaboration between all these different fields. And there's lots of like, great opportunities. So I'm excited to see what comes yeah. of it. I, I did want to mention one last resource, which we'll include, yeah. um, and I've been used reading it, some really great case studies and just thought-provoking articles. It's an OER text, and it's Ooh. called Learner and User Research, um, and it's by Matthew Schmidt, Andrew Tofik, uh, Isa Yanke, and Yvonne Earnshaw. And please oh, forgive me if I've messed up any of those names, but it is an OER text, and we'll, and we'll include that link because I find a couple of the articles in there really fascinating and really, really supportive of the work that we're doing now in the mm -hmm. context of education. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, we'll definitely include it. And um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening and hearing our casual conversation about learner experience design. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Adios. Bye.